0: Welcome back to OOF, Right in the Childhood, a podcast where we explore the history and social commentary of the Disney animated feature films. This week, I'm talking about 1955's Lady and the Tramp, a movie about people who shouldn't own dogs. Sometime in the mid-1930s, Joe Grant, one of the original Disney animators, welcomed his first daughter into the world. At that time, he had a brown and white English Springer Spaniel named Lady, whom Walt Disney loved. In 1937, Joe realized that Lady had started to be pushed out to the wayside after the birth of his daughter and he began to draw storyboard sketches for shorts featuring Lady being, well, slighted by the baby. As Lady was relegated more and more to the backyard as his girls took up all of his wife's responsibilities, Joe pitched the idea of a movie featuring Lady and the antics she got up to while being ignored by the family she loved. Walt didn't like the storyline, feeling that Lady was too likable and that it simply lacked any form of conflict. The animation team even returned to the idea of these shorts in the 40s to include in a package film, but Walt turned them all down. In the original special features for Lady and the Tramp, Joe Sautter says that Walt Disney was especially close to this dog. He said he felt like her long fur looked like a dress, so the animal lover in me wants to believe he just didn't like the idea of this family shoving a dog out because they had a couple of kids, but that's pure conjecture on my part. In 1945, Cosmopolitan published a short story by Ward Green titled Happy Dan the Cynical Dog, which Disney read and loved. Now, I don't know if Cosmos changed a ton over the years, but I'll tell you, I wasn't expecting to find out that Walt Disney read it when I started this research journey. Anyway, Walt really enjoyed the piece, but felt that the dog in this story was too, well, cynical. He had too much conflict and came off as unlikable. So Walt Disney, in all his wisdom, thought, what if this overly likable dog with no conflicts fell in love with this unlikable dog with many conflicts? It's kind of a Homer Simpson way of looking at it, really. Why do I have three kids and no money instead of no kids and three money? Anyway, Walt thought that if they averaged these two dogs together, they'd get three conflicts and three likabilities, and that would be just fine. But Joe Grant wouldn't finish the movie starring his little lady. He left the story in 1949, but left his original drawings of Lady behind for reference. In 1953, they were confident enough with the storyline that they sent all of it over to Ward Green, and he published a novelization of it that same year. See, Walt Disney wanted the American public to be familiar and invested in the story before the movie was released, so they'd be more willing to go to the theaters for it. That said, Joe Grant received absolutely no story credit when it was released. Now that they had a story, they needed a setting. I don't really know what was going on in Walt's life right then, but it seems that the early 1950s was marked by a dichotomous pull to return to his roots and simultaneously push forward. He'd started the plans for Disneyland, which pushed the studio into a place no one had ever gone, but at the same time, most of his movies in this era are marked by wanting to revere the American small town. You can especially see that in Mainstream USA and Disneyland and in Lady and the Tramp. Lady and the Tramp's setting couldn't be closer to Walt's heart. See, he literally drew inspiration from his hometown. Walt and his family had moved from Chicago to Marceline, Missouri in 1906 when Walt was five. They became farmers, and Walt met wild animals and started to draw them for the first time. So Marceline was where Walt fell in love with art, and he wanted people to see that. I invite you to use Google Street View to walk around Marceline, Missouri. You can absolutely see the plains architecture in the background of Lady and the Tramp that makes up the traditional small town that Walt idealized. There's a lot of Walt left in Marceline, including a Disney museum, but the most touching monument is that the current owners of the Disney farm built a replica of the Disney family barn whose walls are covered in thank you messages to Walt Disney from fans. It's very touching. Once the story was finalized, the animators then had to get to work. Mary Blair created a number of fantastic watercolors for the storyboards, but they really wanted to capture what the world looked like from a dog's point of view. They built a scale model of Lady's family's house, and whenever they needed to see something from her perspective, they'd put a camera into the model. In a featurette called Lady's Pedigree, one of the current animators points out that if this were made today, they'd build a house inside a computer and use a camera inside the computer to get the points of view. So, in many ways, this shows how the Disney animators were really before their time. They changed Lady into a Cocker Spaniel instead of a Springer Spaniel, and wrestled with the male dog's name. They thought of naming him Homer, Rags, and Bozo. They eventually just gave him the lascivious name Tramp, which in 1953 actually came with some concern about the censors. There was also new technology on the horizon, which Walt could never really resist. A company named Cinemascope had developed a way to show movies at a 2.55 to 1 ratio rather than the 1.33 to 1 that had been used since the silent film days, also called the Academy Ratio. This CinemaScope technology also came with automatic three-channel stereo sound building on the Fantasound technology from Disney. Walt quickly decided that Lady and the Tramp would be the first Disney movie shot in CinemaScope. But he decided that after the movie had already started being drawn, so all the backgrounds were in the Academy ratio. The animators had to go back and extend the edges of all the scenes so that they could catch up with new technology. Again, the featurette I mentioned earlier talks about the tricks they used to make this happen, like putting a tree over the seam. I'll just link the YouTube video in the show notes. Anyway, as they were preparing for CinemaScope, they found out that not all theaters were adopting the technology right away, so if they produced the film only in CinemaScope, it couldn't be shown in typical theaters, and if they produced it in the old ratio, it wouldn't be able to be shown in CinemaScope theaters. Much to Roy Disney's chagrin, Walt decided to produce two versions of the movie, one in the widescreen format and one in the Academy ratio. That means they had to reanimate some of the scenes to get all the characters in their correct places. In 1954, with the film well underway, the new television series Walt Disney's Disneyland walked viewers through the animation studios and showed animation in process. He talked about every aspect of making Lady and the Tramp and even emphasized the importance of Peggy Lee, who was voicing four characters and wrote six of the songs for the movie. It was during this presentation that Walt claimed that the original story for Lady and the Tramp came from giving his wife Lillian a chow puppy in a hat box, and that they'd collaborated with Ward Green's cynical Dan from there. Joe Grant's family was incensed with the implication that their lady would get no credit. The thing is, that story became the official genesis of the Lady and the Tramp movie, and no one's ever been able to say if it's actually how Walt gave Lily and their puppy, or if he just made that up so he could claim more ownership of the story. Either way, it's a little... hmm. The final film's budget is, again, not confirmed. It seems that, in this era at least, the Disney brothers were trying to keep their monetary information close to the chest. That said, IMDb estimates the budget was about $4 million, or $38.8 million when adjusted for inflation. When it was released, however, the reviews were mixed. Both The New York Times and Time Magazine called it gooey with sentiment, but Variety and The Chicago Tribune both praised the film as delightful. The box office didn't lie, though. Box Office Mojo says the original release, remember, every early Disney film was released more than once brought in $36.4 million, or $353.5 million today. It was also released in 1980 and 86, with box office earnings of $26.1 million and $31.1 million, respectively. It's also been rated one of the 100 Greatest Love Stories of All Time by the American Film Institute, and, eating their own words, Time rated it one of the best 25 animated films of all time in 2011. And after this short sponsor break, we'll dive into the movie and my modern impressions of it. I want to take a moment to thank my supporters on Patreon. Supporters on Patreon help me cover hosting fees and upgrade my equipment while being able to choose to promote small businesses. There are a few changes this month. As of now, all supporters, starting at the Whistle While I Work level, or $1 a month, get an ad-free version of every episode one day early. Fairy godmothers like Jason and Mixie at the $5 level still get a bonus episode on the first of every month. This month, I explore Mary Poppins in depth. From Walt badgering a woman for the rights she didn't want to give to possible rape culture moments, Mary Poppins is practically perfect in every way. So come over and hear everything you didn't want to know about Mary Poppins. If you'd like to become a patron, you can search the show over at Patreon, or you can follow the link in the show notes or on my website. Today's episode is presented by State Bags. State Bags makes beautiful, well-made, inclusively cool products while using the power of business to give back and shift the narrative around social injustice. For every State Bag purchased, State hand-delivers a backpack, packed with essential tools for success, to an American child in need. But their commitment goes beyond a simple material donation. State Bags has your back, and part of that commitment is making a difference in local kids' lives. To get you ready for your commute, or wherever you're traveling next, State is offering my listeners 15% off their next purchase at statebags.com using the code POD. That's 15% off your next purchase using the code POD, P-O-D, at statebags.com. State Bags. They have your back. Okay, Peter Pan took me by surprise, but I feel prepared for sexism, racism, and animal abuse in this one. I think I've watched this a lot more than Peter Pan. In fact, it also has that neat little, yeah, this was bad, acknowledgement at the beginning. Right, this was the first movie released by Buena Vista Pictures, the distribution company Walt started with the money that Cinderella made. I'm not sure why he called it that. In the whole history of the world, there's but one thing that money cannot buy. To wit the wag of a dog's tail, Josh Billings. I guess that's kind of like, you can't buy happiness? Disney invested 15 times more into the lead-up to every story than the denouement. We open to a snowy scene panning around his artist's rendition of Marceline. As a child, I was very annoyed that Darling called her husband Jim Deer. Apparently, in the first draft, the characters had names, but they thought that took too much out of the dog's perspective, Kind of like a child knows their parents' names are mom and dad. Lady knows her parents' names are the pet names they call each other. Anyway, don't give people pets for Christmas. Now that we have a brand new puppy, let's abandon her in a dark kitchen. That'll work. Oh, but this little Spaniel is so cute. Darlie's worried about her being warm enough, and that's enough of a reason for them to not leave her in the kitchen in my book. Well, she's the cutest thing ever, and that's also a good enough reason for me... If we're going to show her who's master, we need to be firm from the very beginning. Like, Jim's right here, but I still don't like him. So he blocks the door with a chair? Jerk. Puppy cry. Stomping on the ceiling is not going to help, Jim, dear. Someone didn't do any research on owning a puppy. He yells at the infant dog for not wanting to be alone for the first time in her life. Great guy there. She is a smart pupper, though. Manages to get the door open and up the giant staircase and into their bedroom. Someone on this team had to have had a puppy that cried like this, huh? Okay, one night. Transition to grown doggo. Jim is upset because Lady gets him up, even on Sundays. My husband has this problem with our cats. One or the other expects him to be up at work time on Saturdays and Sundays. Lady's not great at the paper thing, but Jim's cool with the torn bit because it hides the terrible headline. It's been six months since they brought her home. I like to do the math in these movies, so... Dogs usually come home at eight weeks nowadays, but she might have been as young as six weeks in the early 1900s when this takes place. We'll say she's eight months old here. They gave that dog a saucer of coffee and a donut. That can't be good for her. Hope it fits. It's an adjustable collar, darling. Jacques is my favorite character, don't you, Ken? I've recently started the new live-action version of Lady and the Tramp as well, and I'm not at all bothered that they made Jacques a Jacqueline. Lady needed more strong women to be around. I was going to use the technical term for lady dogs, but people tell me their kids listen to this podcast. Fill it in. Jacques is burying a bone in his cache of bones. So many bones. He admires Lady's collar with her before visiting trusty. Gonna say a bloodhound who's lost his sense of smell is the saddest thing. His grandfather's name was old reliable. I love it. Again, Jim is giving her candy, I think? I don't imagine anything could take her place in our hearts. We call that foreshadowing, kids. Tramp is waking up in this train yard to find some food. He looks at some cute little puppies in the window, then offers reviews of different restaurants. The nice Italian place calls him Butch. Note how every person in this film has a different name for Tramp. There's a notice that all unlicensed dogs will be sent to the pound immediately. Tramp can read English. I never noticed that. He frees a bulldog and someone named Peg, played by Peggy Lee. Jacques and Trusty find Lady in the backyard, super sad. She says Jim and Darling are acting oddly. Jim's been ignoring her and rushing around. Jim called her that dog, the audacity. Poor baby girl thinks she's at fault. The way Jim's acting, they must have just found out about the pregnancy, and in the 1900s, that would have been about, what, three months or so? I'm guessing the doctor told her to never move again, so if they had no suspicion when they got Lady her tag, let's say she's nine months old. It should be autumn. Also, this woman wears high-heeled boots in the house, and that seems really uncomfortable. did worry about the humans been mistreatin' ya? They're just havin' a bairn. Thanks, Jack. I'm really bad at my Scottish accent. I apologize. Lady doesn't know what a baby is. The dogs try to explain what they are. They're little humans that walk on all fours. You're not allowed to touch it, but they're very, very soft. Tramp overhears this conversation and pops into the yard. I always feel so sad for Tramp and his story. He must have had humans before. They were the opposite of awesome. The baby is due in April, so working backwards, it was conceived in July and they found out in September or October. I'm mathing great. They are talking about knowing the sex before knowing the sex was a thing. Jim's hoping for a boy. We know because he's putting up Yale pennants, and though Yale did accept women starting in 1866, it wasn't expected for women to do silly things like college. Darling's writing out girls' names, though. In January, Darling wants watermelon and chop suey. That sounds legit. In February, there's a baby shower. The men get a party, too. It's them telling jokes in the kitchen, but that's nice. It's April, and the baby's here. It's a boy. Jim is hilariously excited. I'm actually kind of touched by this. He leaves Aunt Sarah on the phone without hanging up. The baby cries one spring morning, and Lady is trying to find out what a baby is. She's decided that it must be amazing because they're ignoring her completely. I'm thinking this must be day one of the baby. I feel like Lady would have seen him at least once if it wasn't. Darling sings to the baby. Darling is also Peggy Lee. And yes, that baby boy's crib is decorated with pink bows. Pink was considered a boy's color until the 1940s, you know, because it's the color of washed out blood. I never noticed how Lady flinches away from Jim when he reaches out to pick her up to see the baby. I feel like this is indicative of her treatment during the pregnancy. They've never seen her being struck, but dogs that have never been hit don't act that way. Oof, right in the childhood. Lady's happy to see the sleepy baby, and she gets pets. Beautiful family. Now they're packing to go. The baby's moved to a crib, which means he's probably about four months old. Lady stops them on the stairs because she's protective of her baby. It's Aunt Sarah, the only human with a face. I remember she's the worst from when I was a kid. She was in Joe Grant's original stories, but she was a mother-in-law in the originals. They didn't tell the aunt that there's a family dog that's welcome with the baby, or she didn't care. Maybe both. Oh yes, this song. I hate to admit it, but I absolutely loved We Are Siamese when I was a kid And when I realized it was super racist, it made me really sad because I loved this scene so much. Why are all of my childhood memories steeped in racism? Oh, right. Psy and Am are the last two voices that Peggy Lee voiced. That's right. She's both of them on two tracks. Technology. They're going after an angelfish in a fishbowl. Someone get that sucker a saltwater aquarium. Then they're going after the baby. Lady freaks out. And of course, Aunt Sarah is unaware that her poor little angels are terrors. I think this woman contributed to me not liking cats for like a long time in my life. I've obviously gotten over that. She got the dog a muzzle. Like, that was that. The dog chased cats it had never seen, and bada bing, muzzle! I'd run away too. Poor baby girl. Lady gets her leash caught on cans and then gets chased by a mean old dog. Tramp to the rescue! There's this incredibly vicious dogfight in which somehow there's no blood. They even knock over a barrel of cabbages. It always bugged me that he called her Pidge. Something about the nicknames in this movie really rubbed me the wrong way as a kid. They go to the zoo, and Lady can read English too. Tramp tricks the cops into believing he belongs to a man who speaks several languages, then sneaks into the zoo while they fight. They're looking for an animal to get the muzzle off. Tramp is so, so smart. Apes wouldn't understand too closely related to humans. Alligators are a bad idea, maybe he's not so smart. Now we get to the beaver. This is the first depiction of a beaver I remember seeing. I've still never seen a real live one. There's a colony that lives near us, but my husband won't take me to be their friend. Incidentally, the beaver's whistle is an actual whistle being held at the bottom lip of the voice actor. Every time he was supposed to say an S sound, he just blew lightly into the whistle. Tramp tricks the beaver into taking the muzzle off. Note how this beaver is felling trees across a fence, Not great. The log puller works swell, though. I can't do that whistle. Tramp has a different family every night. He just doesn't live with any of them. He knows what they cook for dinner each night, and he chooses a home based on that. There was a time that people just fed dogs anything, huh? Now we're checking our animal food labels as closely as our own. Better for them, though. The most iconic scene is here. Walt hated the idea of the spaghetti scene. He thought dogs eating spaghetti wouldn't play off as romantic. Frank Thomas persisted, doing a test animation to show what he was thinking. Ivan Earld then painted about 52 inch square storyboards to show all of the scenes that Lady and Tramp would see during Bella Notte. So this is one of those implied adult moments that Disney is really good at. In Lady's Pedigree, the animators outright say that the doggos totally got it on during that night, and really, the math plays out in the end. We'll get there. Okay, Lady is the best. Yep, that world looks amazing, but I have a baby to protect. Tramp tries to entice her by teaching her to chase chickens. In this movie, I am Lady and my husband is Tramp. He's always trying to get me to be a little less uptight and have some more fun. Fun takes a real quick turn when the farmer has a shotgun. This is living, Pidge! Is it? I feel you, girl. Lady gets caught by the dog catcher, though. Oh no, off to the pound! So the Pound Dogs are voiced by a group called the Mellow Men, who were really popular starting in the 40s. The Dachshund is trying to dig them out. This is possibly the most depressing scene ever drawn, and I've seen Dumbo. But now we have Peg. One of my favorite bits of the documentary I keep referencing was that Eric Larson's Mormon Church found Peggy way too sexy. They were very upset that he was part of this. Ah yes, a child's first introduction to a kill shelter. Lovely. Peg's gonna make us forget that they just sent a dog to his death by singing a happy song about how cool the Tramp is, you know, after they tell Lady about how many other girls he's been with. Poor Lady. They discuss how Tramp loves them and leaves them, but when he finally falls in love, the cops will get him and toss him in the pound. Lady's left to think about this as they take her back home. Jacques and Trusty come to visit Lady who has been relegated to the doghouse, on a chain. Now, something I've never noticed is that as they walk up, Trusty says, I've never even considered matrimony. Okay, so, do these dogs know she's pregnant and they're about to do a shotgun wedding to take care of her puppies? Eesh. Lady's embarrassed about being in the pound. Oh, it seems that they're going to marry her and take her away from here. Tramp brings her a bone to apologize. They won't speak to him. She confronts him about his girlfriends and then cries like every girl who's ever broken up with a man who's not good enough for her. Big Rat is back. As a kid, I didn't understand the significance of this rat, and I'm still not 100% sure what we're afraid it's going to do to the baby. Just disease in general? Lady goes after the rat in a terrifying scene. Aunt Sarah is pissed off that she's barking as the rat goes into the nursery. She tells Tramp to go after the rat, and he does. There's a real heart-pounding fight between Tramp and the rat. Lady breaks free of her chain and comes to help. Okay, but seriously, was the rat gonna eat the baby? The nursery is destroyed. Lady's comforting the baby, and Aunt Sarah is still a terrible person. She locks Tramp in a closet and completely ignores Lady and locks her in the basement. She calls the dog catcher, which is taking Tramp away as Jim and Darling arrive. They're just prepared to kill Tramp right away. Winners. All of them. Jim and Darling will listen to their lady. They know she wants to protect the baby. So Jacques and Trusty go after the carriage. Trusty's going to find this scent if it's the last thing he smells, and they're going to scare the carriage horses. This is a very bad idea. And the carriage ran over Trusty. So sad. Apparently, in the first draft, Trusty was supposed to die, but Peggy Lee wouldn't allow them to kill him. She threatened to walk out on the project if they made children cry, and she wasn't an easy one to replace. It's Christmas. This is about three months after the carriage incident. You know how I know? Because dogs just ate for 63 days and those puppies have their eyes open. So Tramp now has a collar. Scotty's in a tartan sweater. Jim talks to these doggos like they're people. Please step into the parlor while I see about refreshments. Trusty's gonna brag about his sense of smell. Oh, he's finally gonna get to tell the old reliable story. Nope, he forgot. So to recap, This family got a puppy for Christmas. They stopped giving two craps about that dog when they got pregnant. They decided they loved her again when the baby showed up. They took a baby moon without telling their aunt that they loved and trusted the dog. But then the dog's friend killed a rat, and they decided not only to adopt that dog, but to have four puppies in addition. By the way, spaying your pets didn't become available until the 1930s, so don't have any ill will toward Jim, Deere, and Darling for not getting lady fixed. It wasn't their fault. But don't feel like you can't hold the rest of this against them. Happily ever after? I still want to know what was up with that rat panic. Why don't you tell me what you think? What was the rat panic all about? How do you remember Lady and the Tramp? My husband told me he completely blanked out the pound scene and was shocked by its darkness. Do you remember it? I want to hear your favorite scenes and the parts you forgot. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the username Oof My Childhood. If you'd like to provide fan art for a future episode, you can drop me a message on my social media or fill out the form on my website. My theme music was composed and played by Sean Rudolph of Let Music B. For more information on that studio, you can visit their website at letmusic.be or check the show notes for an easy link. You can find transcripts for each episode on my website. And if you check out my YouTube channel, I have captioned video versions of each episode as they're published. I do my best to provide YouTube videos and transcripts at the same time as each podcast episode is released. But if this one isn't up yet, you can always check on my website for an update and a link to the appropriate video. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you come back each week to discuss Disney through Modern Eyes. And while you're at it, if you're enjoying yourself, please let your friends know about me. I'd also appreciate a rating and review wherever you're listening to the show. This podcast is written and recorded by me. This episode was edited by Anastasia Saff. I release a new episode every Monday through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many other podcatchers. So until next time, keep the magic alive.